You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to Inside Healthcare. I'm NCQA's Communications Director, Matt Brock, and what a show we have for you today. Our featured guest is on a mission to fix everything that's broken in healthcare data workflow. And our second guest answer all your questions on getting through the certification application process and beyond. There's so much going on here at NCQA, so please stay tuned to the end of the episode for some of our latest updates. But first, on Inside Healthcare, we've talked about the problem with communication gaps. There are gaps between patients and doctors, between primary care physicians and specialists. But as digitalization nears the top of the nation's agenda, we see another critical communication gap, one we know all too well, between the medical staff who deals with patients face-to-face and those who collect and analyze data, healthcare data, for quality improvement. Now imagine a world where these gaps are all fixed. Our guest says there is a fix. It's called a learning health system. Dr. Shane McNamee is a self-proclaimed health data liberator. He spent years working as a brain and spine injury rehab internist with the Veterans Health Administration, focusing especially on helping the severely combat wounded return from the battlefield and become a productive, fully healthy person again when possible. Today, Shane is Chief Medical Information Officer for Smile CDR, Inc., which developed a fire-based platform for collecting and sharing health data. Shane also volunteers as executive director for BPM Plus Health. And by the way, with all due respect, Dr. McNamee asked that I call him Shane during our interview, so I am not um, being disrespectful. So how did he get to where he is today? As you can imagine, it's been quite a journey. I'm a rehab doc by trade, so a neurotrauma rehabilitation physician. Going to focus in uh, traumatic brain injury rehabilitation, spinal cord injury, with a deep focus on the uh, uh, helping the severely combat wounded um, return from the battlefield and uh, become a you know a person again after being a patient for for so many years. So I served with the VA for call it twelve years totally during the wars, um, running a polytrauma rehabilitation unit for the severely combat wounded to. You know, realistically, how do you help pull people into the process of healthcare? And, you know, years down the line, how do you move them towards quality goals? And in this case, um, you know, the quality goals were going back to work again and getting home with their families and, and all the great stuff. So that's how I got into it. Um, and uh, I, I did not come into it as a, uh, you know, definitely an informaticist or even a quality guy or definitely not a technologist when my journey started, but more. Um, somebody who really loved brain injury medicine um, saw an opportunity really to help push the envelope on what we could do with that and jumped into it in there. Uh, but then in the midst of that, I found myself um, not just running a polytrauma rehabilitation unit in, in Richmond, uh, down at the VA hospital there with an amazing team, um, but then also trying to guide, uh, you know, not just patients to their endpoints there, but the entire system and what should we do best next how do you start to structure this well? And uh, my, the first time I really began to look in the informatics direction was, was during those wars and we couldn't get the data and, and definitely not the information that we needed coming in the front door in say 2006 and 2007 or even 2005 when patients were coming in 
from across all these different hospitals in a, a period of time to actually make a difference for the patients coming in the door. So I, uh, I jumped into the informatics land and, you know, the solution land at that time uh, as a really angry doctor um, who couldn't get the data he needed on his patients and was uh, kind of banging his shoe on the gavel, right? Or, you know, to, to say, hey, we need to do better. We need to do better. And uh, got pulled into this by a, a mentor of mine. I doubt he'd be out there listening to Dr. Paul Nickel, brilliant human being, um, taught me so much about informatics. I was talking to him about it one day, you know, panel thing and talking afterwards. And he listened to all the problems that we were having of the data coming through and how only 15% of the data coming through and it was coming through wrong. He said, well, why don't, you know, why don't you fix it? And I was like, Dr. Nickel, that's the wrong answer, right? I'm not that. I'm, I'm, I'm this white coat guy. And, uh, and I really, you know, within 48 hours, I had the opportunity to really kind of take over from a functional perspective or a doctor perspective that if somebody comes in front of you, you've never met them before, you know nothing about them and they're coming to you for help. What data is necessary and how does that data and information need to be brought forward to the doctors and nurses and teams eyeballs to, you know, help them help make better decisions for you rather than you as a patient. You know, when you're at your times when you're most cognitively impaired are expected kind of to bring it forward yourself. I mean, what is complete digitalization for you? Oh, yeah, sure. It's the learning health system. And as we step back, we think that um, somehow healthcare has got anything to do with, you know, digitized health information technology. In the learning health system of the future, the clinicians and the researchers and the payers and the patients themselves don't even notice the technology. Don't even, aren't even aware that it's there, right? I could say to you today, it's like, well, you know, how, how do you like your Amazon buying experience? Is that way up for you? Like last time I thought about that, I couldn't even tell you because it just works, right? So to me is something at the, at the highest level when we talk about a digital ecosystem that we work in is that it actually retreats um, back and actually supports the you know, efficient, effective, cyclical delivery of quality healthcare, right? So you have a bunch of data from you know, you know, Shane McNamee and Matt Brock and everybody else coming in, being um, pulled together and aggregated and harmonized and pulled through really cleanly at you know, fire API endpoints. And, um, you're even nudged if there's something new there. Um, and then you apply on top of that, you apply um, knowledge uh, extractors, if you want to call that. And those things are digital quality measures, DQMs, or um, uh, clinical decision support, we call these at some time. So you want to be able to take that in the future state, pump all that data into and calculate it on a near real time to separate signal from the noise, right? So the problem with data and healthcare and health information technology, one of them, we just keep getting more of it. And we use humans, you know, clinicians, as the intervening step between the data and information, right? The beauty of, you know, digital quality metrics and, you know, knowing the roadmap, at least some of it, you know, from some of the luminaries at NCQA, Ben Hamlin to note, uh, uh, and others, um, it, it is that there is a, an ability now to start to bring forward um, simple um, risk detection, risk, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever they have you, knowledge generation endpoints, and then start to push those into human workflows. So that to me is the, you know, when we look at the digital landscape of the future, 
that, you know, me as a patient is truly as person centric, right? That my data and knowledge and the processes that I have, no matter where I go in a care without boundaries fashion, either, you know, meets me there or even potentially leads the way, um, you know, through along my quality journey. So in the future space, and I'm going to actually bring this all the way down to something that maybe everybody can even understand, right? As, you know, it's not just ramblings of a madman in a cave. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Um, As you come through and as you structure your layers in your clouds, right, of data, knowledge, and process, what you can then do is to start to drop in new best practices for healthcare, right? The things that we should be doing, right? But we can't listen to all that as healthcare providers, right? So two statistics blow me away here. One of which is that uh, uh, the amount of uh, healthcare information is doubling now twice yearly and it's increasing in pace. Right. And this isn't you know, the data problem. This is the, you know, these are the best things that you could do over time. Right. And the flip side of it is that it takes 17 years for best practices to propagate across healthcare, which really, really scare us as patients and as providers and makes us angry and payers that has a scratch in our head and everybody in between tries to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So the future is the adaptability piece, the ability to fit around work in a way that's valuable in a way that actually gets the computers working for us and not the other way around. That's what it feels like right now. Earlier uh, in this very conversation, you said, we're really close. That <laughs> doesn't sound that whole last dissertation. I love it, Matt. You're right. It doesn't sound like we're really close, but things happen quickly, right? Yeah. I mean, you never know. We could turn around tomorrow and there could be a pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) And now that we're in third grades, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here we are, right? So things that weren't, you know, uh, two years ago, even a thought, right? Like, oh, Telehealth is easy to get a hold of. I can get through it and I don't pay a ton of money and it seems to integrate well. That technology has been around for 10 years. So business rules can change relatively rapidly based upon market conditions. When you, when you step back and you look at it from the, uh, you know, you, you have all the buyers in the room and the government agencies and the patients in the room and the vendors in the room and the services industry folks in the room, you can see a you can see a technology solution to this, right? Um, it isn't um, it isn't overly complicated. The problem is is that you know legacy markets have a long time to change, and it's hard to change, right? I mean, so much of healthcare, you know, providers in particular in the last fifteen years, you know, went through all these EMR changes, and they handed over all of this money that didn't even end up being enough money to all these systems that were supposed to fix all of this with their data magic and computer magic. And somehow here we are, you know, 15 years later, um, being asked to do it again. And it seems, you know, it seems challenging in that regard, but, you know, fire at least it's not the perfect standard by any means, but it helps us start to get it right. Who do you think is um, the champion for 
pushing this over the edge? Who, who do you think is the champion or should be the champion for pushing this over the edge? And then on the opposite end, who needs to pick up the speed? The things that needs to lead us, right? The, 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 the heroes of the next age, right? Are uh, open communities, open standards, open source communities that um, are driving towards um, uh, you know, beneficial patterns on both sides of the data exchange or whatever it may be um, and doing it together and having our efforts and our work multiply against one another you know, and then I'll also meet our needs in that regard. So you'll hear me say, choose open, right? Like if you have opportunities in the future and you're buying technology, you're buying other things, choose open, right? Um, you know, it's open standards and, um, you know, uh, open source. And you're going to find a couple of things when you do that. One is which is you're going to future proof your investments, right? You don't have to continually change over time, but you can move to more of a a plug and play model in that regard. So say on the flip side, right? Um, you know, who needs to pick up the slack a little bit, right? So um, they are organizations uh, or rather, you know, tools in particular that have um, core proprietary legacy data models. So, and it sounds like such a boring thing to say, right? Uh, when you've got, uh, you know, so many other problems, but, you know, you've got so many systems that have been built in the spaces in between, right? And we talk about the mesh or the fabric that's in between the hospitals and the clinics where we think healthcare happens. And then we live 99% of our life, hopefully, or more in between, right? The things that connect the data flow in between and the knowledge, hopefully the process. Um, if you have a proprietary set of tools in there, uh, a proprietary data set in there, um, you can really lock the marketplace down at the boundaries uh, and uh, inhibit patient movement that should be you know, natural and free and accessible for our care as we go forward. When you begin, it's great. We know all this data is sort of what we call in, uh, in newsrooms, you know, uh, footage left on the editing room floor. Right. There's just data out there just that's good data that's not being used. And, and what we're trying to do is connect all of that data and put it in a big pile and then, and then organize it and use it. And I get that point. But I think a lot of people would be concerned about mixing all that data and making sure it's not duplicative, making sure it's... So data validation becomes very important in all of this. Absolutely, yeah. Accuracy and completeness, right? And and so a lot of folks, when they hear about all of this, this sort of um, waterfall of data, they wor worry a little bit about how that's going to be done. Should they? That's a great question. Again, um, your data here today, right? The state of that is it's fragmented across all of these different places. Where the people that you are all, you know, relying on to help you, doctors and nurses, population health people, um, don't have access to most of them. And when you do, they're written in all these different languages, saved in all these different ways. So most frequently, you know, the human provider, your doctor, or your nurse, or your social worker, they're looking at a bunch of applications and screen, and they're like literally extracting that data from those databases with their eyeballs about you, sucking it in, generating new information on it, 
and then piping that all the way back and at the other end into all those other systems. So that's what's happening today, right? And when we compare it to that, you're like, oh, wait a minute, right? It, it isn't, you know, we always flip to in healthcare is everything needs to be 100% safe all the time. We always, always agree with that. But we have to realize that what we're dealing with here today is so far from being good, right? So what we can do and, you know, and what we are doing, you know, it, it, at least at Smile CDR with, you know, you know our uh, growing number of really influential customers is saying, how do you take all of that data in very simple ways? How do you bring forth critical insights at the right time to the right people to drive something better for happening? So back, back when, um, when we were, uh, you know, during the wars, it was in Richmond, and we had a, a different computer system than uh, Vista at the time and the DOD and our Walter and Bethesda were just north of us and they were transferring all these guys out of surgeries to us and we'd send them back up to them. So it was a back and forth happening frequently. Um, I relied on my EHR that was there that had the DOD data that they sucked out and they put into it. And the folks at the other end relied on the same thing. And one day I had a, uh, picked up the phone and I had a Navy trauma surgeon uh, yelling at me on the phone. By the time I had it on my ear and hell hath no fury like a Navy trauma surgeon. And uh, they uh, say we just dis, uh, discharged uh, a patient back up to, to the hospital, the DOD. And I was going to yell that because he couldn't find any data on the patient. And he said, this guy, was, this guy was with you for six months. And in six months time, your team only wrote 100 notes on him. So doctors and therapists notes and everything else. And I said, hold on, that's the number you see. And it wasn't exactly 100, but right about there. I'm like, let me look on my screen. And I'm on the phone and we, you know, I queued it up and I'm like, I see 10,000 or whatever the number was at the time. And I tell him that and he's like, oh, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> the, data, the data pipes are broken, right? So the problem with doing uh, validation in production systems is you don't know if the thing is there or not. So when you start with validity, right, it isn't, is this thing correct or not? The question that you have to ask before that is, is this thing even there or not, Right. Did it create and did it come through? Once you have that, so that's completeness. And on the flip side of completeness is missingness. And you can even envision a kind of a missingness percentage or coefficient on that or something, right? And then with accuracy, there's multiple levels of accuracy, right? Is it about this patient and not about another patient, right? Is the number right? Is the metadata around it right? And different ways that you can structure it there. So. You know, when you do data validation and testing, and this is the critical piece for people out there who are worried about this, right? It's like, oh no, all these people are coming, hooking up all these new machines and they're not going to work. You want to make sure when you put in fire, you put it in correctly, right? Um, and you're reading a lot out there about, um, you know, different ways that people are putting in fire and they're not inherently safe or they're inherently slow and whatnot. At the end of the day, it does actually depend on the technology that you put into place and the people, the experts that put it into place to make it happen, right? So, you know, it, it smile and, you know, I'm sure a lot of our competitors, you have to follow um, um, best practices in terms of data validity, right? So down the entire pipeline of when you're making a thing that's gonna handle the data, you are testing it, you know, everywhere from dev, um, you know, to your, you know, uh, sandboxes all the way up into pre-production and in development, or um, I'm sorry, into, um, 
uh, a deployment and making sure that you know you're dealing with uh, your data validity and fidelity i like that word as well along the entire data pay- pipeline until it hits and you might not want to do that yourself right and so that's that that's where you know that's that's where you have to make good choices in the marketplace um, to, to build the right teams around you so they can come in and you know, do those complicated things. But the beauty of it is once you get the pipe set up and, and you have your governance down right, which is critical, and you're doing, you know, monitoring of the systems themselves, once you have them built in the right way, you can actually start forgetting about your data. And uh, I know healthcare certainly would like to start to forget about its data problem right now. Right? So um, why don't we demand more as consumers from our healthcare? We look at the way that we buy healthcare and you look at the way that you buy shoes or plane tickets or houses that are really complicated, healthcare is completely different than the way that we buy other things as consumers, right? Um, that isn't a technology problem, right? These are legacy business problems and we need to start to demand more. And the way that you do that is you start with open standards and open source. And by that, everybody's kind of sharing the solution as we look forward. Rather than you know letting the health IT vendors with proper, uh, proprietary systems in the middle slow everything down for their benefit and make it more costly. Thank you again for being on Inside Healthcare. We really appreciate it. And again, we'll see you. Awesome! It's an amazing podcast. Thanks for having me. That's Shane McNamee, health data liberator on the cusp of innovation, leading us into a new world of the learning health system. You know, NCQA is an endless source for training and professional development. And as stakeholders get deeper and deeper into the certification and accreditation workflow, well, the process can get tricky. Lots of forms to fill out, lots of companies hiring other companies to support their journeys. But as always, we're here to help. Veronica Locke is a process consultant with the Healthcare Service Corporation in Dallas, Texas, an NCQA veteran. She served as senior manager of accreditation policy for us. So if you're a healthcare provider looking for someone to navigate you through the weeds of NCQA accreditation, when it comes to quality assessment and improvement, Veronica is the content champion. She's here on the episode to tell us about two tips and tricks training seminars she's offering in March through NCQA, one dealing with delegation and the other with credentialing. We'll start with the first one that's happening March 9th and 10th. And it is worth noting that our education uh, products, even though they're dated, are available at a later date uh, in case you miss it. So you'll you'll get the recording as well. Um, But the name of the course, Veronica, is Advanced Delegation, Establishing and Maintaining Successful relationships. Tell me just right off the top what you hope to accomplish with this course. For those that are familiar with NCQA and um, the the offerings of the accreditation and certification programs, they are also should be aware that there is this looming concept called delegation. Uh, It's a known fact that not 
every organization can do all activities that are assigned of them. And so they do reach out uh, for help of other entities. And so that is considered delegation in some form or fashion. And so what the advanced delegation course is really meant to do is kind of hone in on turning something from a theoretical concept to an actual practice. Uh, something that people don't realize is that delegation is an actual relationship where the client organization is working with another organization to um, build a successful relationship to uh, meet NCQA standards. So it appears that this is going to continue to become a bigger uh, sort of part of our our lives, correct? This delegation uh, function. Oh, it's huge. Um, with the introduction of the population health management standards, always credentialing, the utilization management, and especially now with health equity uh, being in the forefront of the healthcare industry, organization, established organizations that already have their practices and processes in place with the new uh, requirements that NCQA has, they're going to want to reach out to other organizations that are specialized in these areas that I just mentioned and say, hey, what can you offer to us so that we can work together to uh, either achieve or maintain NCQA designation, whether it be accreditation or certification? You, you uh, frame this in the, the light of relationships. What would you say is the biggest sort of uh, pitfall uh, facing you in this this delegation process as you begin to choose organizations and work with organizations? What is the biggest pitfall you can run into? And then what is the biggest reward if you listen to Veronica and do it the right way? Oh, that is a great question. So the biggest pitfall by far is communication. And as we know in our personal relationships, our professional relationships, and even in delegated relationships, communication is key. It's the client organization knowing what the delegated entity is doing on their behalf and always having that communication. Um, all too often, what I've seen is that a, a client organization will reach out to another entity and say, hey, can you take on these additional requirements. We don't have the bandwidth to do it. And then they let the delegated entity kind of run with it without there being any type of oversight or any type of communication to know what the delegated entity is doing. And then um, come NCQA survey, they're scrambling to find um, either find out what the gaps are or ameliorate any type of transgression that happened. But with communication, they would have known already. And that's why the oversight standards um, that are listed in the NCQA standards are key. And it really fosters that communication um, on a timely basis. Uh, the biggest reward, um, it's, it's twofold. Um, I'll take it from a uh, the perspective of delegating to an NCQA accredited or certified organization. And the biggest reward is probably the oversight relief and automatic credit. Um, and so oversight relief is really kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, since you are NCQA accredited or certified, uh, we know that you have met successfully NCQA standards. And so we do not have to oversee uh, this entity as much as we would have had they not had that designation. And then automatic credit means that you get optimal scoring for certain activities. Now, that's the NCQA 
accredited or certified side of it. There is still a reward for delegating to an entity that may not have an NCQA designation. And that's really just the ability to kind of offload some of the activities to an entity that is specialized um, to do certain activities. For example, if a health plan is delegating to an organization that has achieved population health program accreditation, uh, that is a special organization, that's a specialized organization that only works within the population health management uh, standards. And so they have a better understanding and a more focused uh, lens of what to do for those activities that the health plan may not be able to do on its own. I think here what you're doing is what NCQA does best in many ways, setting up structure. Uh, Absolutely. For, for strong performance and strong relationships. So thank you for that. That class is running March 9th to March 10th. Again, it will be recorded so you could get it later, but as you can tell by listening to Veronica, it is uh, worth hearing her live. She's uh, very connected uh, to the health matrix, so to speak, <laughs> and uh, all facets of it. And um, and on top of that, she's just uh, very smart and very engaging. So you'll enjoy this course. Real quickly, Veronica, let's talk about the one that is uh, going to happen March 30th and 31st. The webinar is Advanced Credentialing, Achieving Performance Excellence. Uh, tell us what you'll learn there. For those who are familiar with me, um, they know that I have an extensive background in credentialing, especially when I was working at NCQA. And there's just so many facets to credentialing. Um, when you look at the credentialing standards, just black and white, it seems very easy to meet. And don't get me wrong, it is simple just by reading the standards. However, there are so many nuances to the credentialing standards that you really have to look and dive deep into the standards to know exactly what it is that NCQA is requiring, especially in this age of um, transparency and making sure that uh, these organizations are aware of who is uh, practicing on their behalf. That's what the credentialing standards are about. And so just taking the credentialing standards just page by page is not enough. It's really looking at your organization, determining your organizational need, the practitioners that um, are, are going to be uh, performing on your behalf and making sure that your credentialing program is structured enough to support those practitioners that you are bringing in network. It really is about just knowing who is within your network. And what, what do you think uh, is when folks show up for this class? Let, let me ask it this way. What are they wrong about? What is their, when they come in, you have to set them all straight. Is there something like that? Yes. Um, again, great question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, one of the biggest misnomers that I would like to dispel up front is that credentialing is a siloed activity. Credentialing is actually probably the hub of different departments and getting to know those different departments and working together. There's risk management, there's quality improvement, there's network management, because once you uh, invite these practitioners within your network, you have to know how these practitioners are going to meet 
your member need. Um, it's really all about the member. And that's also something that NCQA uh, tries to kind of hammer down. It's really about that accountability and transparency. And so um, just having a credentialing department is not enough. It's also building relationships with these other departments and making sure that you're getting requisite information from these uh, other departments to make informed decisions about who is going to be performing on the organization's behalf. So some of this is really about changing your mindset in some ways. Absolutely. Um, it's not just about collecting primary source verification information. It's not just about, um, you know, monitoring for sanctions information. It's really about once you collect this information, what do you do with the information and how does it either benefit your organization or benefit the member need? Um, how does it maybe also hinder members? You know, if you have a practitioner who looks great on paper uh, through your primary source verification, but during the ongoing monitoring phase, which might be collected by a different department, you see that there's tons of complaints or adverse events. It's more about reconciling what it is that you have in black and white and what it is that you see either through your complaints um, from members and other practitioners, and then putting that together to say, do they belong in our organization or not? Healthcare Services Corporation Process Consultant, Veronica Locke, ready to answer your questions on delegation and credentialing in her March webinars. You can sign up at ncqa.org. Just search education. You'll find the classes. Again, they'll be online for several months after they are recorded. So uh, you should sign up. Now, the Quality Innovation Series, Early Bird Discount, if you register before February 27th. These online courses kick off in April and run through the end of June. And remember, even though the webinars will stay online for a while, it'll always be better to participate live so you can get some questions in there. So sign up soon for uh, information on any and all course offerings. Just go to ncqa.org and search for education and training. And now for something new. We're excited to announce NCQA's first Health Innovation Summit. We'll bring together leaders across the healthcare ecosystem for discussions and presentations focusing on all aspects of quality, including digital solutions, health equity, value-based care, and more. And yes, it's in person this year. Join us on October 31st to November 3rd at the Marriott Marquis Hotel in Washington to sign up for reminders about upcoming registration or to become a sponsor of the event. Go to NCQA Summit dot com forward slash save the date that's ncqa summit.com forward slash save the date you know february is american heart month in recognition of that we're highlighting ncqa's heart stroke recognition program this program recognizes clinicians who use evidence-based measures to provide quality care to their cardiovascular disease and stroke patients and once you achieve recognition, as with all our programs, we'll help you promote your certification. For more, just go to ncqa.org and search for HSRP or type Heart Stroke Recognition Program in the upper right corner of the screen. As we leave you again, we remind our Inside Healthcare listeners to go find us more Inside Healthcare listeners. Tell everyone in your office, colleagues and friends to check us out for insights into the latest trends and critical priorities in the healthcare realm. 
find us at blog.ncqa.org or at Apple or Google Podcast apps or wherever else you get your podcast. Our numbers are going up every month, we're happy to say, and whatever you're doing to spread the word, keep it up. And as always, if you have comments, questions, concerns, or even an idea for a great guest for our show, drop us a line at communications at ncqa.org. Don't be a stranger. That's all for now from NCQA. We'll be back in two weeks with another thought-provoking episode. And we have over 70 bingeable episodes to pursue, so dive in anytime. I'm Matt Brock. For all of us at NCQA, keep the eye on the ball. Let's improve healthcare quality. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.